0: hello how are you I'm doing great so good to be here as Matt says um, I'm Simon we're from Brighton Uh, Brighton is the church that Matt and Joe were at before they moved here and before we kicked them out of an airplane and said off you go go and plant the church in Amsterdam Um, we've been praying for you as a church Matt and Joe have been here for nearly three years now Uh, we've been as a home church praying for you regularly praying for this venue, praying for you as people, that Christ would just dwell here richly, that this would grow and grow and have a great impact on the city. And so it's really moving for me just to be here. And um, the whole team of us have been here for about four days. Give us a little, if you're one of the interns who have come up from Brighton, just stand up quickly. You can sit down. Um, yeah, we've been just... Matt's been showing us around the city a little bit, getting to know Amsterdam, just been great. We had the little conference on Friday night and Saturday, those of you, I know some of you could make it, um, or we just learned some things about church, and um, it's just great to be here. You live in an awesome city. It is incredible. There's not many cities that I go to and think I could really live here, but this this (laughs) this is definitely one of them. Yeah, it's just amazing. Well, um, we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah. If you've got your Bible with you, can you turn to Isaiah 61? Before we do that, I'd like to get a a big selfie just to send back to our church at home. So, while you're turning to your Bible, can you give us a big wave quickly? Is that right? Ready? One, two, three, wave. That was lame. Give us a bit of a shout. (laughs) Wave and cheer. One, two, three amazing thank you Um, I'll just put my little timer on here Um, real simple message today I've just got three points each one will be about half an hour each Um, so we'll be done by about 1230 no I'm joking Um, turn to Isaiah 61 I'm reading from the ESV Um, whatever version floats your boat read that but I'll be reading from the ESV I don't know if "floats your boat actually translates, I'm sorry, ignore that. (laughs) It's an English saying. Um, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, and to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you that your word is living and active. It's alive. And we're asking you this morning, right here in Amsterdam, living God, that you would come and speak to us. We open our hearts to you. We say, come and speak to us Change us, mold us, and show us what you're like and the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 61, you can read about it here. Also, Jesus stood up, you can read about it in Luke, in front of a whole load of people in the tabernacle. Um, and he said, to, not in the tabernacle, and he, and he said this about himself. He stood up and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. These are some words of Christ words of some things that Jesus is gonna do and is doing in lives of people. So we're reading through a description of the kingdom of God and what Jesus has come to do. It's not like completely exhaustive, he will do other things as well as this, but there's a piece by piece just description of what the gospel does when it comes to people. So I've got three really simple points that we're gonna look at from here. Um, First up, we're gonna look at this verse one where it says the spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news. Good news to the poor. Good news is number one. Many people think that to be a Christian is about things you have to do to follow Jesus. I need to read my Bible. I need to go to church. I need to make sure I don't do this or these things here. That's definitely sins. Um, I mustn't get drunk. must not go to coffee shops too much. I need to make sure I just keep pure before him. If I do this, then I'll be a Christian. It's about what you do, things that you do. In fact, if you look at many of the world religions, it's actually similar, it's about what you do. And Buddhism follows the eightfold path, things you need to do as a Buddhist. Islam has five pillars that you have to complete as part of your pilgrimage. As a Muslim, it's about what you do. I mean, Judaism, the 10 commandments, in fact, lots and lots and lots of commandments. There's, I think it's 313, all little commandments. If you do these things, you'll get to God. And if you do them, God will accept you. And many people think that's what Christianity is. That's what it is to be a Christian. If I do this, I will get to God. The thing is, that's not good news. What's that? That's religion. That's human effort and human doing to get close to God. That's actually exhausting. (laughs) That's not good news, that's tiring. Why is that? Who's ever just decided to be perfect? Jesus decided, I'm going to follow all of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to live for God perfectly. You watch, here I go. You won't go a few days without doing something that you don't want to do, without sinning in some way. Good news isn't just do, do, do. What God has come to do is something different. Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what's been done. The heart of Christianity is about what Christ has done. No human being could have done it. What's he done? God came to earth in the man Jesus, and he lived out underneath like the Judaic law, and he obeyed every single one of those 312 commandments. Every single one of them. He did what none of us could do, and no Jew could do up to that point, and no one has done since. He lived perfectly. You think, oh wow, that's amazing. Why did he die then? The reason he died on a cross, a brutal death, he died to take to himself all of the things that we couldn't do, all of the ways that we fell short of what we should be like to get to God. He took upon himself all the bad things, all of our sin, all of the things that hold us back, all of the things that we do in disobedience, all of the things that we do we know we shouldn't do, all the things that he doesn't want us to do. He took upon himself on the cross, and on the cross died really what should be our death. He took upon himself and he died for us on the cross in place of us, taking to himself all of our shortcomings, all of our failings. You know, it says in Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't think there's anybody here today who would put their hand up and say, I've never sinned. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us have fallen short in some way. Some of us even in the last week, you just know you have Jesus came to earth, lived the life we couldn't live, and then instead of going back to heaven, he's traded places with us, died on a cross, and took upon himself on that cross all of the things that should separate us from God. And in doing that, he died in our place. He paid a price for our redemption, the big word, redemption. He's traded places with us so that We could go free and we could know God because of a cross. The last words of Buddha, and you can Google this, are work hard to gain your own salvation. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Contrast that with the last words of Jesus. It is finished. I've done it. You don't have to work hard to get to the Father, to get to God. I've done it for you. And everything that stops you coming to God and coming to have a relationship with Him, I've taken away and now you can come and know God because of me and because of what I've done. This isn't bad news. This is good news to humanity. This is good news for us. Sometimes we we think of Christianity as we just got to get back to doing. It's not. It's not about what you do. It's what's being done. Sometimes we think of it almost like the half-time talk um, in sport, in soccer. You know sometimes half-time talk, they get back into the locker room and the manager or the captain will will talk with the team. You're doing okay, but we've got the second half. You need to get better here. You need to play a bit better here. You, You need to up your game a little bit. Okay, get back out there. Try a bit harder. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Jesus did. Christianity is the final victory whistle and the announcement that we've won. Christ has done it. It is finished. Where do we stand in this all? We're the pitch invasion. We're the celebration at the end of it. We're not here standing up celebrating in ourselves. We're celebrating it's finished. So, Christianity is not about religion and doing, it's the announcement of the end of religion. He's done it. And the invitation this morning is to come and stand in his victory. Come and let his victory be your victory. Come and trade in your sin, your mess, for his perfect life. It's not bad news. It's not boring news. It's not just old news. It is good news. It is good news. We've been singing about it all morning. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood for every believer, the promise of God, the vilest, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, pardon, receives. My hope is built on nothing less than his blood on that cross, his righteousness. we would be singing about this gospel. For some of you, you might know this and have heard this many times, but it might not be landing in a fresh way at all. Let me ask this question. Are you more aware in your life day to day of the ways in which you fall short in your sin Or are you more aware of Christ's glorious achievements? Religion makes you look down. And when you look down at yourself, it's often quite depressing. Some days you're winning. Other days you're really not. The gospel, the good news, is about looking up at what Christ has done, letting that define who you are. Do you know what? You're going to fail. You're going to sin. And do you know what's amazing? God actually knows that. He's not surprised. He never thought, right, you become a Christian, you trust in Jesus. Now, from now on, I'm expecting you to live perfect. He knows you're going to sin. But he set this whole thing up so that we're hidden in Jesus and under his grace. And his love and his mercy transforms our hearts and helps us walk and not sin. He doesn't like it when we sin. It's not an excuse. Oh, it's fine. No, he knows that we will, but mercy and grace help us not. So we're not saved by good works, as Neville said yesterday, but he saved us for them. So I guess what I want to say is just point one. The gospel, what Jesus come to bring, is good news. And the good news is your life and righteousness come from Jesus, not yourself. So for some of you, you've been looking down at your life and you're living in shame. You just need to look up and just enjoy what Jesus has done. Let those words, it is finished, echo into your soul this morning. There's nothing that you can do that will make him love you more. There's no amount of obedience and righteousness that's gonna make him love you more. And in fact, there's no amount of disobedience and rebellion that's gonna make him love you less. Why is that? Because you're hidden in Christ and the father always loves his son. And because you're in him, he treats you exactly the same. That's point one, it's good news, it's the gospel. Are you more aware of your failure or your weakness or Christ's glorious achievements? Christ has put an end to religion. Come this morning and know him. Number two, it goes on to say, um, he sent us to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, liberty, for the captives, the opening of the prison for those who are bound. It's not a physical prison cell. Don't know if you've been in prison before, if anybody served time in a jail. That's not so much what this scripture is talking about. It's about being spiritually captive. It's about being a prisoner. There's sometimes there are things in your life that you can feel, I feel like a bit of a prisoner here. I'm not free in a certain area. I don't just feel freedom. I feel captive. I feel like a prisoner in some areas of your soul, some areas of your life. Maybe it's something obvious, like you're addicted. You know, Addiction can feel like a prison. You just can't get away from something. You feel like you know, you're, you're free outwardly, but within, you know you're addicted to something and you feel at prison and you feel just bound by something. Uh, maybe it's just patterns of behavior you notice in your life that you can't just shake off You feel like, ah, I feel a bit restricted here. I'm doing things I don't really want to be doing. I know we're actually sort of, this isn't what God would want me to do. How does this work? What's going on here? Behind every sin, there's always a promise. I say promise. A promise of pleasure. If you do this, you'll feel happy. A promise of life. Do this, it'll be comfort to you. A promise of, like, you need this, you need this. So we don't sin on autopilot like some computer or some algorithm. No, we sin because it feels good. We sin because it, it offers something. We're not just doing something because we can't help it. Actually, we, there's a promise behind it that we buy into. And it might be for a moment that it actually does offer some kind of pleasure, it does offer some kind of just freedom for a moment. But you know as well as I do, that actually the way sin works, although it might feel good in a moment, often the way it leaves you is more empty than you started. It leaves you less human than when you'd begun, and so you feel even worse. And where do you go with those just feeling empty and down? or Suddenly the promise of sin comes again and it offers you some kind of pleasure, you, you jump onto that. Think, Oh yes, maybe this will give me what I want, this is the answer but that never leaves you feeling better. No person has sinned and feels better afterwards. You know in your soul a darkness. Just think about that, think about your favorite sin, sexual sin, gluttony, gambling, whatever. Nobody sins sexually and feels like, oh, that's much better, I feel more human and alive now. No one just gives into gluttony and has a huge, like massive meal way beyond what they should and feel like, oh, that's much better. No, you feel disgusting nobody just gives in to anger and sin at the end of a big rant feels better Now you feel worse and the way sin works in our lives it says in John 8 everyone who sins is a slave to sin when we sin in a, in a weird way we become slave to it enslaved to it it's like a thread I decide to sin in a certain area do something that I shouldn't a thread goes around my body like this. I could probably break through that thread. Just once in, just just push out of it. Just two or three times around, all of a sudden, oh, that's not quite as easy to break off as I thought. One more time around, oh gosh. Four threads is a bit of string. That's not something you can just push out of and you think, right, no, I can do this. I can deal with this on my own. And you push out and it starts to cut into your arms. You might even start to even draw blood. You think, no, I've got this, I've got this. Have you really? Think, No, I don't. Where'd you go with that? You sin again. Before you know it, you're bound up. Jesus says if you sin, you're slave to sin. You find yourself just like, oh, I can't not do this. And this can happen in very obvious ways, addictions, or very subtle ways. Behind closed doors, in ways that no one really knows about. But you know, you're in a prison. Well, here's some more good news. Christ on the cross, as well as taking on our sin, he also broke the power of sin. He has a power on the cross that breaks chains and opens prison doors. It says in Romans 6 verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And when it says in John 8, verse thirty four, it says, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It goes on to say, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Christ comes to the threads of sin around us and the power of the cross and his blood is like scissors that just cut straight through it. Christ has overcome the power of sin. Come on up, buddy. You can join me. Christ has broken the power of sin. You think you're in a prison and you can't get out, what he's done is opened a prison door. It's open. The problem is we often choose these things. How do we get out of prison? If you're here today and you're just bound up, yep, that's it Simon, you're describing me. I'm in a prison. What's the way out? The way out is so simple, it's repentance. Repentance isn't just God, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I know you're sorry. Repentance is turning away from it. Repentance is saying, God, I've believed a lie. I believed the promise here that something will give me freedom. and I didn't believe you. What sin promises but doesn't really deliver, Jesus truly promises and delivers. You find in Jesus a joy far better than any other sin can give you. You find in Christ a joy when you choose him. It doesn't leave you feeling worse, but it's a deep, deep joy in our hearts that's bigger than any pain or suffering that you go through. You find him a satisfaction. You find a missing piece to your soul and heart. He leaves you feeling better. And if you're stuck in patterns of sin, The way out is not you don't need to try and rattle at some prison door, try and work hard to get out of it, try and push against some threads. No, he's opened it. The power of the cross has opened it. The way out is repentance. The saying to God, God, I turn away from what i had chosen and I choose you. And where you can, identify what was the lie you were buying into. And repent of that. I believe the lie here that this would give me pleasure. But really, I know my pleasure comes from you. There's so much power in repentance. It's the one thing the enemy can't do, he can't repent, and he hates it when Christians repent. But it's actually one of the easiest things to do in some ways, you haven't got to do anything, you haven't got to go and die, he's done it. Just turn away, confess it, and it says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Immediate forgiveness. Do you have to repay your sins? No. Do you have to work your way back to God? I'm sorry. No. It's finished, remember? But the way out of your prison is just repentance. Now, just quickly on this. Sometimes the reason that we sin, there might be something bigger underneath it. Sometimes the sin is more of a fruit issue. It might be something in your heart. Might be some other issues going on. Uh, Might be some unforgiveness, which is causing pain and annoyance. And from that annoyance, you sin. Or it might be just you feel hurt. And from that hurt, you sin. Might be some insecurity might just be you were abandoned and you just always feel lonely. And from that loneliness you sin. So the sin might be a fruit thing. There might be something else going on. What do we do with that? Do you know what? Jesus' redemption and his work on the cross even covers up that. It says up here, he binds up the broken hearted. If you're here with issues in your heart, things that are affecting you, the gospel and the good news extends even that far. It heals the deep things in your heart. We have deep issues. You can have deep issues in your life that affect you, let God in. By his spirit he can bring healing to you. So we live in a world that offers freedom. All these things offer pleasure. You can walk out of these doors today and just go and choose a whole load of pleasures, but really it's just bait on a hook that will leave you bound up. When we choose Christ, he's the one that gives you true liberty true freedom, true joy, true life. And the more you choose him, the more life that you find. Point three, coming into land. It goes on uh, to talk just line after line after line of just incredible things. Um, I read through all the verses grant those who mourn in Zion give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of the faint spirit that be called oaks of righteousness just line after line after line of this restorative power of the gospel it takes somebody who's broken who's messed up in prison and makes them an oak of righteousness just takes away all these things three instead of's don't know if you saw that the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, and beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That's what Jesus does. He comes and does this in our lives. Look around you. Just look around you now at the people on your row. This is what God has been doing these to us as a community, as a church. He breaks through the prison doors and he makes us more and more like Jesus. But Point three is this. In verse four it goes on to say, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Part of this healing of broken hearts, bringing you to a place of liberty, helping you to stand on your feet again, coming out of prison doors, is he also commissions you to go and do some things with him and for him it's not just a hospital but it's a state a case of being commissioned to go and if you read through these verses it says they shall build up like they shall build up it's shifted from what God will do now to what we will do what you will do if you're in Christ they shall build up raise up repair this is something that God wants to do through us. Jesus gets you back on your feet, but he commissions you to go. What is this? This is like a prophetic call to rebuild. What is it talking about here? It's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts, it says in, um, in the New Testament, Jesus has his parables about the kingdom of God. It's like a little bit of yeast in a loaf, starts off small, but takes over the whole loaf. Or it's like a small little mustard seed that starts tiny but grows and grows and grows. The kingdom of God isn't supposed to just stay put in a small sense. But there's a growing nature to it. When the kingdom of God comes to your life, it starts as a seed but it grows and grows. When the kingdom of God comes to Amsterdam, it might start with a room of a hundred people. But its purpose is it to grow and to grow and to grow. And the way and manner in which he will do that is they will rebuild they will build up they will renew God's commission and call to us as those who've known this good news is for us to rebuild ancient ruins now ancient ruins is not talking about a wall somewhere He's not talking about some broken building um, that's just built. We all need to go and get some bricks and some cement and just like get our builders' game on and just go and build something. No, he's talking about lives and hearts and people. Not talking about a He's prophetically talking about the kingdom of God rebuild, restore, renew, ruin cities. This is one beautiful city. Do you agree? all week we've been saying Amsterdam (laughs) it is stunning you live in a beautiful city but I tell you she's hurting she's tired she's captive she needs liberty she needs the good news. And God's plan A for Amsterdam is to be reached with the gospel. How? They will do it. The building of the church. No, no, isn't surely the plan A is the gospel, is Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is commissioning you. And me. I live in a city that needs Jesus. God's plan A for Amsterdam is the church. The church isn't some side project over there. Really I'm about just just me and my glory and oh there's the church. No the church has God's full fixed focused attention. The promises in scripture lie with the church. God's plan B for Amsterdam is the church. God's plan C for Amsterdam and to save Amsterdam is through the church. There's not another plan. It will work. You can read the end of the story. What do you see? You don't see some failing church somewhere that's just got it wrong, and we should try some other methods. No, you see a mighty, victorious, glorious church with people from every tribe and nation and different languages, and some people talking from Dutch, some people speaking German, some people from China, all these people coming together, and you see a mighty, glorious church. And God's plan for this city, the way he's gonna save it and reach it is through building his, church building his is us there's a commission on your lives here friends in Amsterdam to rebuild the kingdom of God um, and rebuild ruined cities these words they shall And there's some certainty in these verses they shall it's not they might no they shall part of the call of God on you Liberty is to build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations, where there's been beauty, where there's been holiness and it's just been devastated. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Some of the devastations in this city is generational sin. You see some family lines and it's just addictions, problems that have been going on for years and years and years. What's the answer? Is us bringing the good news of Jesus to people bringing liberty and this is the commission and call of each and every one of us yes Jesus comes to us but also is to go and uh, the promises in this in the Bible and in Scripture are around his church and um, here in in Liberty and in this church I know Matt and Joe well they're about building the church there's nothing on earth like the local church it's not just a club it's not just a hobby it's not something you do gosh, there's better things to do on a Sunday morning some days than on a nice day like this. but We're coming together to meet God, to meet him, but also we want to rebuild cities. And when you say like rebuild cities, that's too big. What's the population of Amsterdam roughly? Uh, 800,000. Eight, 800, Dang, <laughs> that's big. Big than Brighton. 800,000. How are you going to do that? Here's how. You do it one heart at a time. Every one of you are connected to individuals, people that you go to work with, your neighbors, just one heart at a time. You see God is at work all over the place. Just stop, see what he's doing. Jesus says the son himself can do nothing on his own. He only does what he sees the father doing. What's God doing in in the world around you? What's God doing in the people you work with? you see the beginnings of God working? Join in with him one heart at a time. One heart at a time. You see, you can change a whole city. That's the call and commission to you, you all have a part to play, all have a bit of the wall to build. It's not just a few people on a stage, it's a whole community, we're all Jesus' hands, Jesus' feet, we all have the message, we all have the gospel, the good news in us. All of you, if you're in Christ and you believe this good news, are living miracles. All of you are examples of true liberty, true freedom. When you hang out with your friends, they should look at you and think, man, there's something about you. And they do. I'm sure many of them do. They might not have said it, but there's something about you because you carry Jesus. You've, you've met something you know is just different than any other drug, pleasure experience the city can offer. There's something about you that's just different. People will look at you as different. You do shine. You've got to go and try and be shiny. No, you do shine. And so this is the God's call to us. This is what Isaiah 61 is all about. It's about good news coming to us. It's about being freedom and liberty in our own lives, but also a call to rebuild cities and rebuild the one that we're in. I want us just to pray in a minute and we're going to respond to God uh, in worship. But there's a personal call for you. So I'm just going to invite you for a moment just to shut your eyes. Just steal your heart before him. Maybe right now you just need to align your heart again with the good news man, I just made this all about me. I've just been wrapped up in myself. I've been disappointed in myself. Maybe you've actually been proud about yourself. Maybe you think you're doing quite well. You know what, it's not about you. Just listen to his words again. It is finished. It is finished. Maybe some of you have spoken over yourself things that aren't from him, failure disappointment it says in Isaiah 61 you'll be called oaks of righteousness the gospel changes your name whatever you thought defined you have none of it you're his oak of righteousness you're his son you're his daughter just as the musicians come up on stage just stay still in your heart for a moment just start to thank him again for the gospel for the good news Even just ask your spirit, come and remind me that I'm yours. It might be that some of you know actually you're in a prison right now of sin. Even start to bring that to him. God, I don't want this. Just keep being still. Come Holy Spirit. come Holy Spirit, maybe there are things you know this morning you just need to repent of. We'll be taking bread and wine in a moment and I'm sure Matt will lead into that. That's a great time just to sit and to just repent of your sin. Let's just keep being still before him. I'm going to hand it to Matt.